Great. Good morning. morning. Well, that's pretty good, actually. Let me just try it again so I feel really loved. Good morning. morning. Fantastic. Really, really good to be sharing with you this morning. Um, Great also, given what I've been asked to speak on, which is strength in weakness. Great to hear from Gavin that he's not perfect. (laughs) Always always useful. And they literally do live directly opposite us, actually. So the house opposite, uh, on the Balnafoyk crossroads. So this morning it's the Balnafoyk boys that you've got (laughs) speaking to this morning. Absolutely. Uh, so if you've got a, a Bible with you, it's going to be whatever form your Bible takes these days. I'm still old school, so I'm here with my paper Bible. If you've got a Bible on your, on your phone or a tablet or whatever, uh, open it up now in 2 Corinthians. That's going to help you because that's where we're going to look from. 2 Corinthians chapter t- uh, 3 and chapter 4, we're going to dip in and out of those chapters. If you are looking at the Bible on your phone, just make sure you turn your notifications off. Don't check your emails. Certainly don't play Candy Crush, all right? If you, if you play Candy Crush, you will surely go to hell, all right? That's, that's the way it is. Okay, so, so turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, if you would, in chapter 3. Now, I'd, I also just need to explain to you that whilst I'm seeking to share with you from Scripture, I am going to look something like a blind bat, all right? Because the reason for that is... I am like a blind bat. Um, I'm, I'm actually awaiting two cataract operations, so I'm going to need to squint at my Bible uh, as we go through, but please bear with me. Um, I, want to, I, want to, I want to talk this morning about... There are three questions that I want to finish with, I suppose, this morning. And I want to, I want to start by asking us all, asking myself first and foremost, uh, what are you living for? What am I living for? What... What legacy do you want to leave behind? Just in this last two, three weeks, something like that, uh, two of my great heroes of the faith have been, I think the phrase is, promoted to glory. Uh, They've gone to be with Jesus. And I've been reflecting on their lives and the way that their lives impacted literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people. People finding their way to faith in Jesus, people pursuing their faith in Jesus. And the, the whole thing about legacy has kind of come alive to me. And I, I, I play with my, in my head with what, what do I want my legacy to be? What am I living for? What would I want them to put on my gravestone? You know, when I come to turn up my toes and push up the daisies or whatever you want. Uh, you know, it was Pete Gilbert best before, you know, or something like that. Or what, what is it you want, actually want? It was Spike Milligan, wasn't it, who, who, who had it on his gravestone. He had engraved on, see, I told them I wasn't well. And that's what he had put on his... And, and, and they refused to do it, so they did it in Latin, would you believe? That's actually what they put. And I, I, legacy is an important thing, isn't it? Legacy is really important. Is it, uh, those of you old enough to remember Monty Python, you know, what did the Romans ever do for us? Uh, and the answer is, of course, they, if you're down south, because they never got up here, did they? But if you're down south, they, they just straight roads uh, everywhere. It, what, did the, what did the Egyptians leave behind? Well, they left behind the pyramids. You can still see them. A little bit closer to home, uh, what did amazing steel magnate at the time the world's richest man Andrew Carnegie uh, a Scotsman what what was his legacy you can still see his legacy in the centre of Inverness what he left behind because of his passion for education for people who couldn't afford to go to school is he left libraries all over the world that was his legacy what is my legacy what is your legacy what is it that you're living for. Let's just uh, read a few verses. Let's start off with a few verses um, from uh, chapter 3 
of 2 Corinthians, this amazing couple of books that the Apostle Paul writes to one of the churches that he's planted. This is what he starts off saying in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What is it that you're living for? I'm living for, I'm not living for straight roads or for pyramids or even for uh, libraries, great legacy though that was. Uh, I'm living for changed lives. I want to make a difference in people's lives. I want, I want it to be that when I come to pop my clogs and turn up my toes and push up the daisies, I, I, I want people to be alive still who are changed by Christ because in some way I was able to love them or serve them. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And yet he goes on to be really clear. Let's read just a few verses following that because he's really clear where this comes from. What are you living for and how are you going to live it? And Paul is really clear. Now, this is the great apostle. This is the apostle of apostles against whom all other apostles tend to be measured. This is the apostle who uh, plants churches all the way from Jerusalem to southern Illyricum, what, what used to be Yugoslavia, now kind of Albania, I suppose. A church planting strategy. This is the apostle who ran teams. This is the apostle who, who was shipwrecked, who performed miracles, who raised the dead, the amazing apostle Paul. And listen to what he says from verse 4. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are com competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So I love it that Gavin can stand at the front and with honesty and sincerity and with vulnerability, without me joking about it, I love it that he can say he's not perfect. And I know him really well. And he speaks the truth. He's, he's, he, and I also am not perfect and neither are you and neither are we. And the apostle, this great apostle of apostles says, I am not competent in and of myself. It's Christ who makes me competent. So what are you living for? And second question, how are you going to live that way? How are we going to live lives that affect people and change people and love people and serve people and see people find Christ or see people go deeper, dive deeper in love with Jesus? And the answer has to be not in our own strength, but in the midst of our weakness. And our competence comes from our call. Our competence comes from our call in Christ. And how are we going to live that out? Well, Paul's really clear, isn't he? What does he say here? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. He's talking about the letter of the law. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is not about wearing and wearying yourself out. This is not about gritting your teeth and trying harder. This is not about earning some position of credit by works because Jesus does not come with a gospel of works. The problem with the gospel of works is it doesn't work. Jesus comes with a gospel of freedom, 
and of grace. This is born of the spirit, not born of the law, not born of our own efforts and our own achievements and our own strengths. I, I've not been on one for a long time, actually, but my kids would tell you, uh, I love uh, fairground rides and the kind of the hairier, the dangerous, the, uh, the better for me. I, we, we've spent time on the, like the big ones, Alton Towers and all that sort of stuff. And if you go to places like that, adventure fairgrounds and stuff, what you'll often find um, as, you, as you queue for the ride, and you normally do queue for the ride, you'll, as you get close to it, you'll normally find a little kind of a height scale thing. And they try and dress it up in funny ways. Put your head here. If your face goes through the hole, you're big enough to go on the ride. It's about height and safety on the rides. And it's a, it's a yardstick. It's a way of saying you can go on this ride and you can't go on this ride. And the law was given for us to measure ourselves against and to understand that we're not good enough, that we haven't got it made, that we can't attain it in our own strength. Actually, that we do, literally, we fall short. So we can't go on this exciting, wonderful, incredible ride. And then Jesus comes, and I love this, it says this in Colossians, Jesus takes not just our sins on the cross, but the law itself and nails it to the cross, which he then leaves empty, so that we can live not by the law and by rules and regulations and rituals, but by grace and by the Spirit and by freedom. So the first question, what are you living for? Pete, what do you want your legacy to be? Second question, how are we going to live that way? And it has to be, it can only be, the way we were designed to live, which is in the power of the Holy Spirit, not by self-effort and finding in our weakness God's strength. But I want to I want to read I want to take us on from there. I want to read some more verses. In fact, oh, shall we do it? Yeah, let's let's because it's so good. Let's let's have a look at chapter four. I want to sort of flick into chapter four now, and it's actually quite well. Both three and four are quite short chapters, aren't they? So. Follow it with me. I'm going to read out, probably read the whole chapter, actually. So follow this chapter with me. Now, in my Bible, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, it's got, as most Bibles do, it has little subheadings, obviously not part of the original text. But the subheading at the top of chapter 4, in my Bible, a very famous passage, goes, Treasures in Jars of Clay. This really is about how imperfect we are. This really is about strength in the middle of weakness. So let's just uh, follow that text along with me. Therefore, I, lo I love that, I, uh, it's been said, hasn't it? You'll have heard it said. Whenever you read a therefore in scripture, read backwards and find out what the therefore is therefore, all right? And if you, if you do that, you see the therefore at the start of chapter four, because the chapters are just arbitrary divisions to help you find your way around the Bible. The therefore goes, takes you straight back into chapter three. And in chapter three, it talks about Moses and being in the very presence of God and how his face shone. And it was just because he'd been in the Shekinah glory of God. He'd been in the presence of God and it made his face shine. And, and I've done a little bit of kind of research about that as you go, as you push through uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament and uh, the, this idea of the presence of God, the weight of God's glory, the Shekinah glory of God, the, the presence of God. That phrase gets used a lot in the Old and in the New Testament. What I discovered uh, to my surprise is there's no word, there is no single word in the Old Testament Hebrew or in the New Testament Greek which translates as presence. And if you push it a little further, the Hebrew word is panim. 
presence, the presence of God, panim. But it literally means the face of God. So the presence of God is the face of God. It's God up close and personal. It's God pressing his face against our face so you could feel the beard of Jesus almost. I actually had that experience once when God took me out in the spirit uh, some years ago when I was living in, in Portsmouth. And to that end, I grew a goatee beard, which I've still actually got, to remind me of the presence, the face, the proximity of God. And that's what made the face of Moses shine. It's said of Moses that God stood with Moses face to face like friend to friend. And we're left with this idea, which we've picked up somehow, somewhere from the little bit of passages in the Old Testament, that to see the face of God is to die. But it was never meant to be like that. Oh, yes, it does say that in Scripture, but that's not God's heart. God, that's come about because of our own guilt and our own shame. But God wants us to be able to look in his face and shine with his glory, even though we are so weak. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, right? so this is about God's mercy. What are you living for and how are you going to live it comes to us because of God's mercy. This is about God's desiring, not our deserving. His desire for us, not our deserving. it. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, referring to Moses' veil there, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I think most of us have felt like that at some point, maybe even frequently over the course of the last two, two and a half, three years. We begin to emerge out of lockdown into a world still riven with pandemic, and before you know it, we're in galloping inflation and a war in Ukraine. And most of us have felt like that. So we can relate to this in our weakness. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit 
so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, there's a perspective in that. Therefore, because of all that God is doing, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Transformed is the word there, metamorpho. Just like Jesus was transformed on the mount, just as we're called to be transformed. We're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen, that is eternal. I want to just finish by drawing a few quick points from some of those verses uh, from chapter 4 that I, I think I hope... I pray will will help us this morning. Verse 5, I'm really taken by what Paul says uh, in verse 5. He's talking here uh, uh, against the cult of the personality. And we know a lot about that, I think, in this day and age. We put our hopes in individuals. When America was really going, going through it, really badly going through it, who did they elect? They elected the tallest, biggest, burliest president that you could possibly imagine. I don't know if you know this, but it's a fact that the average height of American presidents across the years has been two inches higher than most other American men. What's going on there? What is going on? Whatever you think about Trump and what the fact that he might stand again, there's a spur for your, pro- for your prayers. Um, it, it, he, this is what I want to say. They're trying to elect a hero. What's Boris always doing down south? He's always blustering and bragging because he wants to be the hero figure, the cult of the personality. We do it in our churches even. And yet, Paul advises, warns against that. He says, don't go for the cult of the personality. View everything through the lens of Christ. The lens of Christ. And he's describing Jesus here as Lord. Christ as Lord. The word is kyrios. And, and whilst, yes, it means the Lord, but actually that word literally, more precisely means the boss. So this is a description of Jesus' function in our life. Not just his function as Messiah, but this is Jesus as our boss. And so on a daily basis, imperfect Pete, probably like imperfect Gavin, probably just like imperfect you and all the rest of us, I have to get up and look myself in the mirror and say, Who's the boss? Who's the boss today? Pete, who's going to be the boss of your life? Who's going to be the boss of your world today? Is it boss Jesus? Jesus Christ as Lord. And then, of course, moving down to uh, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Church, beloved, it's, it's okay. It's okay to be a work in progress. It's okay not to have it all together. It's okay not to have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and, and, and to be in control and, and, and to be on top of everything. It's okay to be a work in process. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's all we are. That's a good perspective to have on ourselves. But do you know what? I think for years as, as Christian church, we've, we've beaten ourselves up because we've not got it all together and, and we've not got all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and we haven't got all the answers and, and we do still sin and, and we beat ourselves up. 
And I wonder whether we've perhaps misunderstood what the real nature of biblical strength is. I wonder if we thought biblical strength is... It's, it's being the, the spiritual superman, the, the cult of the personality again. Or is it just possible that that's, that's actually a Greek idea? Is it just possible that's a Platonic idea from Plato? Is it possible that actually biblical strength is not about having it all together? Maybe biblical strength is to do with vulnerability. Maybe biblical strength is to do with transparency. Maybe biblical strength is to do with humility and asking for help when it's needed and giving it when it's needed. Maybe biblical strength is more about those things than it is trying to be all together all the time. We have this strength in clay jars, clay vessels. Why is that then? So that the glory goes to God. So I love that little passage there in verse, in verse 7. And then uh, flick it on into verse uh, 13. Again, I, I love this. You, please forgive me that I picked this verse out, but whatever else I am, uh, I am still an evangelist. Uh, and in verse 13, Paul says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And one of the things I love about our church, one of the things I love about Inverness Vineyard, is that we are th- we, the two legs that we work on, as far as I can see in this church, are shared lives, discipleship, shared lives, and mission. And that's fantastic. And Paul says, I believed, therefore I spoken. Literally, I tell it out. I speak it out. And the opportunity, whether it's Gavin in the workplace or me with our neighbours as we all open houses, which we can do again at last. So looking forward to Christmas. We've not been able to do our Christmas open house for two years. Uh, we speak it out. I have heard some people say, um, well, they quote St. Francis of Assisi, actually, uh, who said, preach the gospel um, and by all means and use words if you have to. And I kind of I kind of get that. I kind of get it. I understand that's talking about live the life. Don't, you know, don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. I get that. But you know what? It's not just live the life. It's also talk the talk. It's also going out of your way to explain why you live the way you live and you love the way you love and you give the way you give and you troll off to view cinema, not to watch a film on a Sunday morning. You know, I mean, how weird is that? But giving away what God has given us, we tell it out, we speak it out because we have believed. And then finally, verse 18, the conclusion is a great perspective, isn't it? Great perspective on why you're living, what you're living for. Great perspective on how are we going to live it, how are we going to do it. Great perspective. This final verse of chapter 4. So we fix our eyes. Can you get that? That's, that's intentional, isn't it? That's focused. That's deliberate. I wish my eyes could fix like that at the moment. I'll tell you. That's focused. That's fixed. That's perspective. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we do not walk by sight, but by faith. Sometimes we see it, but a lot of the times we don't see it. But it don't stop us. We fix our eyes and push forward on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What a cracking perspective that leads to patience, perseverance, 
that gives good perspective that leads to patience. So we push through. So this morning, church, focusing on strength in weakness, focusing on what, on what is written a bit later on in 2 Corinthians, where it explicitly is stated, for my strength, says God, is made perfect in your weakness. Can we think about that? Could we live that way instead of beating ourselves up, instead of trying to live by the law that constantly tells us we can't get on that ride, but instead living our lives in the fullness of the Spirit, living our lives by faith, whether we see stuff or whether we don't see stuff. That's a great perspective. Calm Holy Spirit and help us find God's amazing strength in the middle of our incredible weakness. So church, as I, as I finish, and I'm going to hand back over, um, three things. First of all, what are you living for? What am I living for? What's your legacy? When you turn up your toes and push up the daisies, what do you want to leave behind? And how are we going to live that way here and now? Not by works, not by might, not by strength, but by the Spirit, as it also says in Scripture. What are we living for? How will we live it? And my third question this morning, I guess, is very simple, and again, that's something I love about our church. Always, always the opportunity to engage with one another and with the Holy Spirit. So my third question this morning, I suppose, is, out of all that I've ramblingly tried to say as I can't read my notes this morning, where do you need prayer? Where do you need prayer this morning? Where would you humble yourself? Lay your own strength down and find strength, God's strength in your weakness. Where is it this morning that you need prayer? Is it to do with God being boss, Jesus being boss, not just Lord, but the boss of your life? today, in the decisions that you're facing, that you're making, in your relationships that are good, in your relationships that are broken, do you need to find Christ this morning as boss? Maybe you don't even know Jesus, just a name to you. I don't know who's here this morning and who isn't, but if you don't know Jesus, this is an opportunity this morning to surrender your pride and ask for his love and forgiveness to flood your life. Is that where you need prayer this morning? Is it perhaps that what you need prayer for is boldness? Not just boss, but boldness to, to, to speak. Not just to try to live it out, but then to explain what you're trying to live out. To your family who don't know Jesus, or to your friends, or to your neighbours, or to your work colleagues. Maybe you just need some prayer for boldness and for God appointments to come your way this week. Or maybe... Maybe what God has just put his finger on this morning as I've been wafflingly talking my way through 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Maybe what he's touched in your life is, oh, that's where you're broken. That's where you're broken right now. That's where you're weak right now. That's where you need me to come with my grace and bring my strength into your weakness. And maybe you need to respond for that area of hurt or pain or brokenness that's in your life. So I'm going to pass back now 
and, uh, and we'll have an opportunity to respond to anything that God has said for you uh, that you want to come down somewhere over here probably. You'll get directions uh, so that we can pray for you. Let me pray and then I'll hand back. Jesus, thank you for being with us this morning. We're amazed that by your spirit, you are present in gatherings of your people across the globe. And not just little us here in, in, in screen seven, in view cinema in Inverness, but across the globe by your spirit, your presence speaking to your people. Inexhaustible, fresh with your mercies again today. Oh God, we need them. Because the reality is, Pete, like Gavin, like everybody in this room, we're not perfect. We want to find grace. We want to find mercy. We want to live by your spirit. We want to speak out the good news you've put in us. We'd like our legacy to be changed lives. So help us. And any of us this morning that need that, just a touch of prayer, a brother or a sister to stand with them, lay hands on them and be with them and pray for them. And give us the courage of our convictions to respond that way at this time. Because we ask it in your name, Jesus, and we ask it for your glory.